0: Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. So this morning, without um, taking too much time, uh, I'm going to be ministering on a subject which it's a, it's a two-part series because Etienne is not also going to be here next week. So I'm also going to be ministering next week. Uh, So the two-part series that I have is something that God has just been speaking to me for quite some time now. It's something I've been studying, something I've been thinking about. And I've titled the series, Where is Your Heart? Where is your heart? That's the name of the series that I'm going to be be sharing, what I'm going to be sharing for the next two weeks. But this, this particular Sunday... I decided to focus on the definition of the heart, because one thing that I encountered when I when I got this idea in my mind of the heart was I started asking the question, "What is the heart?" You know, um, for for a long time in my life, in fact, up to this moment, I'd actually never asked that question. I've seen the word "heart" written in the Bible several times. In fact. When I search the word heart in the Bible, there are hundreds of verses that speak about the heart. But then I ask myself, but what is the heart? We, we, we say, we say, I think just this morning, because now I'm, um, they call it intellectual awareness. When you, it's, it's like the moment you buy your car, every time you drive on the road, that's when you start noticing your car. Like everyone else who's got your car, that's when you start noticing it. Before you had it, you never paid attention to it. So when I was studying the heart, this morning it was just amazing. Every, almost in every conversation that I've had with someone, someone mentioned the word heart. It's, it's quite interesting that, you know, when, when sometimes we say these things because we're so used to saying it, but we've actually never applied our minds to try and understand what exactly is the heart according to the Bible. Well, obviously, according to the Bible, the Bible is not talking about this physical organ in our, in our bodies that is pumping blood. We also call it the heart. It is very vital, and I'm sure that's the reason why it was called the heart, because, of, because it's a vital part of our body. But that is not what the Bible is referring to when it's talking about the heart. We often obviously use symbolism of our physical organ, the heart that pumps blood, the organ of life to represent the heart. But the heart, according to the Bible, is not necessarily that physical organ. So there are quite a few statements I think we, we can think about when somebody, some of the popular or common statements that we say referring to the heart, we can say he put his heart into his work and it really shows in the final product. That's one of the statements. Another statement you can say is she spoke from the heart, expressing her true feelings on the matter. Another statement you can say is I believe in my heart that this is going to happen, A, B, C, and D is going to happen. And then um, another statement is they have a heart of gold, always willing to help those in need. But I'm going to share with you one of my my favorite statements. Concerning the heart, this is a personal favorite. It says, I have no heart-racing thing for you. And you might be wondering, how can that be your favorite statement? I have no heart-racing thing for you. So for every gentleman, I hope you've got a girlfriend or a wife, I hope you did not get that response when you asked her out, because that's the response I got <laughs> when I asked my wife out. She responded to me and said, I have no heart-racing thing for you. But obviously, two kids later, <laughs> I'm realizing that my wife did not have an understanding of chemistry because the moment I asked her out, even though she responded in that way, there was a chain reaction because for the next few days, that's all she could think about until she got to her place. <laughs> <laughs> Until she got to a place where she realized that she actually have, has a heart racing thing for me. And uh thank God eight years later, two kids later, we are together and our hearts are pumping for each other. <laughs> so I'm really grateful for for that encounter. But again, uh it's 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 something that you know we say, we talk about the heart in almost many different scenarios. So the question is, what is the heart? According to the Hebrew, looking at the Bible, the heart is pronounced Lev, or in some instances, Levav. I hope that's the the way I'm pronouncing it. I didn't go on YouTube to check. Uh, But the heart is comprised of two letters in the Hebrew, and the first letter in the Hebrew is called Lamed. Lamed, it's a picture of a staff, like a... A staff something that you hold. A staff is something that shepherds would use to head the sheep. So a staff represents a symbol or a voice of authority. And then the other letter in the word heart is called bait. B-E-Y-T, bait. It's a picture of a house or a tent. So according to the definition of the Hebrew, the heart is actually the voice of authority found inside a man or a person the voice of authority found inside a person. So now, before I even go into trying to define the heart, and I'm using the word trying simply because, like I said, when you look up the word heart in the Bible, you will notice there are hundreds of verses that speak about the heart, and all of them are referring to the heart based on the context. Not necessarily based on a definition, like a clear definition, to say this is what the heart is. But I figured out there is when you when you start reading and studying this, there's actually a consistency even to all the references of the word heart. They refer to certain things and certain aspects of the human being. So now I want to start focusing on first of all, what is a human being made up of according to the Bible? If we read from first. Oh, sorry. We're not. We're not going to be having any scriptures on the on the screen today. But I'm going to ask you to follow with me in your Bibles, and uh, I'm going to be reading a lot of verses. And the reason why is because I want to. I want you to get the answers from the Bible according to what the Bible says the heart is, so that you can also have an understanding of what the Bible is referring to when it say when it talks about the heart. Now, from First Thessalonians chapter five verse 23, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 from the King James Version. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly and I pray your, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in this verse we hear a mention of the entire being or the entire composition of a human being. Here Paul writes and says, a human being is made of a body, which is what you see. Different variations, obviously, based on this room, of the body. This is what we is the tangible one. That's the house, the tent, the body. And then he also mentions a soul. A soul, according to the definition that's also mentioned in the Bible in the references of the soul, a soul is... Where your mind, your will and desires, your emotions and feelings, that's where they're all housed in your soul. Your mind, intellect, your will and desires, intentions, your feelings and emotions, they're also housed in the soul. And then you've got a spirit. A spirit, you could call it the breath of life. Without it, there is no living human being. Without your spirit, so your spirit is that which remains after the body is dead, that which remains—that's your spirit. So those are the three parts of a human being. Now, the heart fits into this construct of the of the of the composition of a human being. So the heart is actually not a fourth component. It's not like the fourth component of the three that I've just mentioned: the heart, the body, and the the. Uh, the the body, the soul, and the spirit. It's not a fourth component, but it comprises of all the elements of those ones. And I'll show you according to the scripture. Now, what I want to mention before I even again go to the definition of the heart, and I'm trying to go as fast as I can because there, there are quite a few scriptures to get through. Is that the spirit that we received at salvation is not a corruptible spirit. I need to make mention of that because its it will be very critical for us to understand that the spirit that we received at salvation is not a corruptible spirit because it is God's spirit, right? In him, there is no evil at all. That's what the Bible says. Now, if we read uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 from the New King James Version, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, it says... Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. The reason why your spirit is perfect and cannot sin is because it is born of God. And we know that God is spirit. And then the other verse here, 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 from the New King James Version. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That means if God is spirit and God is light and there is no darkness in him at all, that means his spirit also is, a, is as perfect as he is. Right? Then again, I'm reading all these verses, verses just to establish the fact that the spirit we receive at salvation is not a corruptible spirit right second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 and verse 21 from the new king james version it says therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new first second corinthians 5 second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 and verse 21 Then verse 21, it says, says, uh, For he made him who knew no sin to be seen for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Then the last verse, just to establish this, is Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, from the New King James Version, it says, And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power, When Paul writes and says you are complete in him, he's not really talking about our physical aspect, he's talking about the spirit man. That the spirit inside of you is complete in Christ Jesus, and that is the spirit we talk. So, after having established this, we know again that the spirit that we have received at salvation is not a corruptible spirit. But then when we read about the heart, we know that our hearts contain some things that are not perfect. According to Scripture, even Jesus himself mentions these things, that our hearts contain some things that are not perfect. So we cannot equate the heart to the spirit because we know the spirit is perfect. But we know that in the heart, there is a component of your spirit, right? although the spirit is not equal to the heart because the spirit is perfect. But in your heart you can find some things that are not perfect. And I'm going to read from Mark 7, Mark chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, from the Passion Translation. Mark chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, from the Passion Translation, it says, these these are the words of Jesus. Evil originates from inside a person. Coming out of a human heart are evil schemes, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, treachery, debauchery, jealousy, slander, arrogance, and recklessness. All these corrupt things emerge from within and constantly defile a person. Jesus mentions and says, out of the heart of a man emerge evil things so our heart can't be the spirit because we know that the spirit of god is a perfect spirit so i will link all this up to to, to let you to, to just to show you where the spirit fits in where our minds and our and our and our emotion all fit into the picture of the heart now coming to the components of our hearts What is in our hearts according to scripture? The first verse I'm going to read is from Matthew chapter 9, verse 4. Matthew chapter 9, verse 4 from the New King James Version. It says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? The Bible says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? So that means your mind, your thoughts, your thinking is a component of your heart. Because Jesus said he knew their thoughts, but he said, why do you think evil in your hearts? So that means your mind and your thoughts, your thinking is part of your heart. It's a component of your heart. Now, Acts 11, verse 23, from the New King James Version, Acts 11, verse 23 says, When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all. uh, When he he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged uh, them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. So in this verse it says with purpose of heart. When we talk about purpose, we're talking about will, desire, purpose, like what your purpose for your life, what you will and what you desire. So that means our will and our desires and our purpose form part of our hearts as well. (coughs) So remember we say the soul is a component of the human being, so there's the body, the soul, and the spirit. In your soul, you have the mind, You have the will and your emotions. Uh, You've got your desires also in there. You've got your feelings in there as part of your soul. So we see that the soul forms a very big component of your heart because here it talks about purpose of heart. Then in Matthew 28, verse 18, from the Passion Translation, Matthew 28, verse 18, 26, verse 18, it says, He answered them, my heart longs with great desire to eat this Passover meal with you. Go into Jerusalem, and you will encounter a man Tell him that the teacher says, My appointed time is near. So he said, he answered them, My heart longs with desire. So that means our desires, our will and our desires are also part of our hearts. Our will and our desire are part of our heart. Then Matthew, 28, Matthew 5, verse 28. <coughs> Matthew 25, verse, 8, 20, verse 28 from the King James. It says, But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So it says, but... Whosoever looks at a woman and desires to commit adultery with her or wills to to commit adultery has already committed adultery in the heart. So that means before you even act on something, something that you already desire is something that's part of your heart. So the will to do something, the will, the desire is part of your heart. So I've touched on two things the mind is part of your heart. The will, desires, are part of your heart. Now the third component is, we feel with our hearts. I feel in my heart. Like There's the a statement, we always love to say, I love you with all my heart. Love is a feeling. Or so we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in quotes, but I'm not going to go there today. John 16 verse 22 from the New King James Version. John 16, verse 22. It says, Therefore, you now have sorrow. Sorrow is a feeling, an emotion, a feeling of being sad. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. Rejoicing is an emotion, it's a feeling, right? And your joy, No one will take from you. So we can see that there's a component of our heart that also includes the emotions, the feelings. Just like again in Matthew 14, verse 14, from the Good News translation, Matthew 14, verse 14. Like I said, there are quite a a number of verses. And the reason why I chose to have a, a number of references is so that you can see how diversely used the word heart is in the Bible. I'm not going to go through hundreds of verses, but just a few of those will show you that there are some components of the heart that are based on the context that is being mentioned. So Matthew 14, verse 14 from the Good News Translation says, Jesus got out of the boat, and when he saw a large crowd, his heart was filled with pity or compassion for them, and he healed their sick. We could see that Jesus was moved, there are several references in the Bible, where the Bible says, and Jesus was moved with compassion, and he healed them all. Even when he fed the 5,000, the Bible says, and Jesus was moved with compassion for these people, because they were just there in the desert, and they had no food, and he provided food for them. We know the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Now... There is also another component that's also mentioned in the Bible that's in our heart. That's our conscience. Our conscience. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 from the New Living Translation. It says, let us go into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ, with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. It says, Let us go into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him for our guilty consciences. So we can see that the conscience here is being linked to the heart as well, just like in Titus chapter 1, verse 15. Titus chapter 1, verse 15 from the Amplified Classic, it says, to the pure in heart and conscience, Titus chapter 1, verse 15, it says, to the pure in heart and conscience, all things are pure. To the defiled and corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So it says, to the pure in heart and conscience. So this, this the, the, the end here in this instance is, is, is not necessarily saying that the heart and the conscience are separate from each other, but it's more like uh, an explanation of it, right, to the pure in heart and conscience. So we can see that the conscience is also an element of our hearts. Then lastly, our belief system is also a component of our hearts. Oftentimes we say to people when we are leading them to Christ, believe in your heart. Believe in your heart. And we see that from Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 from the NIV, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. So we can see that we believe in our hearts. And we know one of the verses that we love to mention when it comes to reaching out to people, reaching out to unbelievers, is Romans chapter 10, verse 8 to 10 from the New King James Version. Romans 10, verse 8 to 10, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes. With the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So we can see that our belief system is a huge component of our hearts. Now, this starts to, when I was going through all this, it started to make me think about some of the references in the Bible where I always used to struggle to really understand how can you do this. Uh, they, They made references to the Bible. And what is the greatest commandment of all? According to Jesus, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Again, it seems like from the writing or from the translation that these are separate things, but we, we can see that the heart is, in the heart there is the mind. In the heart there is your feelings, your emotions, your desires. So, what does it mean? What did Jesus, what did God mean then when he said, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength? So, that means love the Lord with all your entire being. That's what he meant. So we can see that if the heart contains all these aspects that we've just mentioned, then some would like to define the heart who say that the heart is the center of your being. The heart is the center of your being. And that is why I believe in Proverbs chapter 4, it says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So that means the heart is the entry point into our being. It's also the exit point as well into our being. And in the heart, we contain our soul, but the spirit man also is a component of that because the spirit man, we access the spirit man through what? Through faith, through belief, right? When we believe in Christ what happens? We get a new nature. And it is from that new nature that we get access into the perfect God, into what God has made available to us through the Holy Spirit. And we actually can see it from the scripture. This was prophesied, um, I think it is from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. No, Ezekiel, sorry. Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 to 27. From the Passion Translation. It says, I will graciously give you a new tender heart and put a new and willing spirit inside you. I will remove your hard heart of stone and give you an obedient Responsive heart instead. I will put my Holy Spirit in you to empower you to keep my laws and to live by them. So we can see that when someone now comes to the Lord and they believe in their hearts and they are saved, God puts inside of them a new spirit, but not just a new spirit, but also a new heart that is responsive to the Spirit of God. But it doesn't mean that suddenly you have erased your mind when you get saved what you knew before you got saved you can still you still know after you got saved if you had certain habits before you got saved you still have you, you may still have those habits even after you got saved so it is our responsibility to keep the state of our hearts because we Determine what goes into our hearts, but we also determine what comes out of it, and in any case, you can only let out what you already have inside of you. I think a few weeks, uh, a few months ago, I shared on what's flowing in your heart, what's flowing out, out of your heart. We know that you cannot you cannot give out what you haven't put inside of your heart. So there are all these voices that are speaking to your heart, but it is up to you to determine what voice you're listening to or what kind of information you are letting inside of your heart. So now comes the biggest challenge that man has, that you've got, on the one hand, the voice of your mind, your intellect, your will and desires, but you also have the voice of the Spirit. And both of them have access to their heart. And oftentimes times we, we listen to things or we desire things, we will things, we feel things, and we go according to what our minds or our intellect says. We go according to what our will and our desires says, but not what according to the Spirit says. Because God will never take away your free will, whether you even after you say it. In fact, that's the one thing that God has given all of us free will to choose. From the beginning of time, first of all, the greatest use of your free will is to get saved. The greatest use of your free will is to get saved. To choose to allow Jesus to change your heart, so that when you change, when your heart is changed, and you now have a new spirit, then you now have access to your information, which is what's coming from, your, from the Spirit. Now you have a heart that is able to respond to what the Spirit is saying to you. But again, often you God saying, even though you now have access to the Spirit, it doesn't mean that every other voice is going to off. It is still there. You still have access to the news. You still have access to the radio. You still have access to social media. You still have access to books that will shape your mind in a certain way. The thing is, what voice are you listening to? That's, that is what then determines the state and the health of your heart. Because when, when man was created innately, the heart of man was never created in a state that allowed it to, to make the perfect decisions or to make the problem with our heart is that the fall has affected us at the deepest level. Our mind, our will, and our emotions are tainted by sin from the beginning. We know from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 to 10, which is one of the verses that many people caught, but without context, without understanding what it means. The heart is desperately weakened. Who can know it? From the message translation, it says, The heart is hopelessly dark. And deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But they never caught the second part of it which says, but I God search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human, I get to the root of things, I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. So you, we always caught the first part to say the heart is desperately weakened, which is true because because of the fall of Adam and Eve, Every one of us are born with a nature that is a propensity to sin. But then thank God for Jesus Christ. Because now He says, He comes and He says, But I will put a new heart inside of you and a new spirit. And I will give you my spirit, which will allow you to respond. Or I will give you a new heart that will allow you to respond to my spirit. So that's why it is impossible for an unbeliever to access the true nature because they need a change of heart. Because the heart that they have, the Bible likens it to a heart of stone. It means there's nothing that can, that can go into it. It's, it's, it. It cannot receive that which God has made available. That's why there's a need of a change of heart. Now, again, going back to the verse that the greatest commandment of all. What does it mean then to love God with all your heart, and all your mind, and all your being? It means when you have a desire to do something, how often do you make that desire something about the gospel? When you're thinking about something, creative things, how often do you make those creative things about reaching out to the lost? So what Jesus was trying to say here is, love me with your entire being. Like, there shouldn't be any, use every part of you to, to focus on the things of God. And I know some of us, we know for a fact that none of us can truly say we love God with all our hearts. That's why we also need the word to to, 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 to explain what the word means. Because we know that none of us can love unless we receive his love. The Bible says we only love because he first loved us the more you receive his love for you, the more you understand what Jesus came to do for you, the more, the easier it is to set your heart on things that are above and not on things that are below. That is why you've got our brothers and sisters leaving all they're doing to go to a country they've never been, a country they don't know, because their hearts and their desires are now beyond just the present day, beyond just the here and now. But their hearts are now moved by something that's beyond earthly, something more eternal. Their hearts are now moved by the desire for people to hear about the good news of what Jesus has done for us. So it's it's given me a a new perspective of what it is to love God with all our hearts. It means loving God in your thinking, loving God in your emotions, loving God. So if you are emotion, emotional and uh, you know, you love, you've got you, you, you moved so much by emotions, maybe sometimes it's good to just be glad and dance with the Lord. There's nothing wrong with your emotions, it's just that we we should not rely on our emotions as the source of truth. We should always rely on the Spirit as the source of truth. Because the Bible says, you shall, worship me, you shall worship me in spirit and in truth. So only when we worship from the Spirit, when we are in touch with our spirits, are we only worshiping the truth. That's why it's, it's, it's important for us not to allow our emotions to determine the course of our lives. Because our emotions can be wrong. But we know where the truth is. That's why it's also important to not allow our wills and our emotions, our wills and our desires to shape the course of our lives, but to submit our will under his will. Because the the reality is that all of us have our own will but I believe that the most powerful thing is someone who submits their own will to God's will and now and allow his will to take over his life his whole life you can find more of our free teachings on our website www.gracelife.ca and if you're ever in the Tigerberg area we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca.